Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. All right. Hey, you guys. Uh, it's great to be back after not teaching for a while. It was a much needed break and, uh, it just feels good to be back. So, uh, let's hope it's a lot like riding a bike, right? Okay. Uh, if you didn't get your notes, uh, raise your hand and the ushers will get the program notes to you. You'll need those to follow along. Uh, let's go to Ruth chapter four in your Bibles and you can follow along in your notes or up on the big screen. Uh, today's talk is entitled Lasting Legacy. And so we're going to walk through Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to be making some observations along the way, and then we're going to look at three keys to a life worth remembering. Because if you don't think about your legacy now, you'll be disappointed when you get to it. Pretty much all of my decisions these days have been about thinking about uh, what am I leaving behind and what does that look like? What does it mean to uh, make my best choices now and managing today whatever resources and stewardship that I have today? My grandma Rice uh, changed my life by what I saw her do while uh, she was living. The church that uh, I went to and grew up in, it ran out of space and we needed a building to meet in. And so she took time uh, off work without pay as a job, as a server at the White Spot Cafe. And she drove down to Tijuana and she bought up a bunch of purses. And then she drives back to the little diner where she worked years ago and she sold those purses while she served uh, at that little diner. And she raised enough money to buy a lot. And that lot was where we built our church on that lot. My dad had a uh, a family inheritance from his dad. His dad had bought him a uh, 3030 Winchester rifle. It was a keepsake and passed it on to him. And I saw my dad sell his 3030 Winchester rifle so that he could buy a skill saw so that he could frame the new church when we started building. Watching them live out their value, one of those values is the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other things will be added unto you. And I saw them firsthand live what they believed through their actions, and it created an enduring legacy, not by reputation, but because of what I saw them do in their lifetime in front of me. It was the way they lived. It was a lasting legacy that was passed on to me. Your greatest legacy won't be a plaque. It won't be a statue or words written about you in a book. It will be the faith that you instill in generations that are coming after you. My grandmother, uh, while she was working at this diner, uh, she started college at the young age of 53. And she, she became a real estate broker and she was very successful in business. And her and my grandfather, they would buy homes and flip them and turn them and sell them years ago. And they were so good at it that one of the ministries that they had, two ministries, one is they would make sure that every single kid went to camp, no matter how many kids needed to go to camp. And then secondly, they would actually loan money to couples uh, to get their starter home. And they would structure it in such a way that young couples could get into their home. What is a legacy? 
A legacy is something uh, be, beyond you. It's, it's, uh, it's a worth that you leave to other people that's a blessing to other people. And so today, we're going to get a front row seat at a, a great business deal. We're going to read about and listen to a businessman named Boaz. We're going to listen to his conversation and his negotiation. And you're going to see firsthand how he conducted his business with character and integrity and how he actually looked for God to show up in the details of his everyday life. But before we get to the three keys of a life worth remembering, uh, let's read this passage together. Are you ready? All right, I'm excited. Now, remember last week we shared that about how Ruth and Boaz had spent this romantic night on the threshing floor and they snuggled up close, but it turned out to be a night of honor and dignity. And at the end of that night, Boaz says to Ruth, there is one person before me that actually has the right to be your guardian redeemer and your future husband. So uh, before I do, and so uh, stay here and in the morning, uh, if, if he fulfills his duty, let him redeem you. But if he's unwilling, as surely as the Lord lives, I will. In other words, I want to be your man, right? I can't, I can't think of anything but the silhouette of your body in that moonlit light on the threshing floor. And it's like, I want to marry you. Oh my gosh, was that tough getting through the night. But Boaz wants to be a man of character and integrity. And he says, let's wait. And so the very next morning, we pick up here in chapter four, verse one. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. It's interesting, the level of detail just in this verse. It says that Boaz went up to the town gate because the threshing floor in that day was literally underneath or below the city itself. So when it says he went up, he literally went up to the town gate. He goes directly up to the town gate because that's where you would do your personal business or the civic affairs for the people. That's where you handle that. You know, think about it. Every community has a popular place that they do business in. In in Greece, it's outside. It's in these small little quaint roadside cafes where business is done. In Italy, my wife's from Italy, and, and it's done in a dimly lit back room in a restaurant <laughs> with a guy with a white hat and a white suit. And uh, in Mexico, it's in the local Catina, right? The scripture says, as he went up to the town gate, the guardian redeemer that he had mentioned to Ruth was there. Just then, he just happens to come along. Now, the guardian redeemer is a legal term. It means the one, the one who has the obligation to redeem a relative in serious difficulty, But when he says this, as he just came along, it just happens to happen, in the Hebrew grammar construction of this sentence and verse, it conveys the idea that God is actually working behind the scenes and arranging the timing of when Boaz would come up and run into the guardian redeemer. That was not simply a coincidence. The very man that Boaz needed to meet with happened to be coming by. 
Any person who's ever been successful at business or life or had breakthroughs, you know that moment. You know that situation where you met just the right person at just the right time that you needed to meet. They just happened to come by. They just happened to be sitting in that restaurant uh, when you were having lunch or they happened to be in that store and you bumped into them or you happened to be in the same coffee shop and you met that person. Boaz and Ruth's destiny was being shaped by God. The Bible says in Jeremiah that God is a potter who shapes our lives like clay. And so God is actively working behind the scenes, orchestrating things. Now, remember Ruth chapter two, because it was in chapter two, one day Ruth says to Naomi, let me go into the fields. Let me go over and gather up the leftover grain. And then it says this, it's very interesting. Ruth went out to gather the grain. And then it says, and as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz. I want to talk about stumbling into the place that God wants you to be, that she just kind of stumbled into the right field. Uh, people uh, ha- who have an awareness of God's sovereignty in their life, they'll tell you that through a series of events, they felt like the big things in their life, the important things in their life, sometimes it was almost like just kind of stumbling into it. I didn't know it was going to be this big. I didn't know that this was going to happen. I really had no idea. It just kind of happened. And very few people work in a field where, you know, where you got your degree. Most people are in careers where something else happened and this led to this and I met so-and-so and now I'm working in this area. And you look back over your life and you go, I'm amazed that I'm doing what I'm doing and certain things in my life are actually unexplainable. What you did, when you did what you did, where you are now, you go, wow, there must be a God. And in trying to describe that to somebody else, you go, man, it just seemed like it just happened. It just seemed like it kind of fell in place. And Ruth says, it just happened. And Boaz says, he, he mentions the guy just happened to walk along and something happens. And so you stumble into something, you stumble into that appointment. You stumble into that encounter, into that relationship in a church, and it changed your life. There was so much more that God wanted to do for you. Now, this sounds a little strange, but for some of you, hear me out, you're about ready to stumble. You're about ready to stumble into something. There's, there's about to be a shift in your life, something that's going to take place that you can't plan and you can't orchestrate that God wants to do in your life. And you'll stumble into that situation. You'll be going along in your daily routine and all of a sudden you'll be having a conversation and it's like the heavens open up and the light shines down. You go, wow, this is that moment that pastor was talking about or I didn't know this was going to happen. Look at what happened. Look at what God's doing. But there's a shift and there's a change And there's an awareness in the atmosphere, in the ecosystem of your life, that God is about to do something in your life. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, good. Because God is at work and he's orchestrating the details of your life. But sometimes it's difficult to see your own patterns and the things that God wants to deal with in your life. You're going along and you're following a pattern. It's kind of like a seamstress who's cutting out the contour lines of a dress and the lights are on in the sewing room and you're cutting along ever so carefully and you're following the lines. Or like when you were a child, remember when you would cut a a paper figure out, you know, and and you would cut along the lines and, and you can see what's next. But there are other times in your life where all of a sudden somebody turns the light off in the room 
And you're right in the middle of cutting. You're right in the middle of knowing your next step, knowing what God has for you. And suddenly things go dark and you really don't know. And now things are uncertain. Now there's a feeling of instability, a feeling of stumbling along. I'm not sure what's going to happen. One picture frame before, you knew where your story was headed. You knew what God had for you. And then suddenly in the next frame, he, it feels like he's gone. And you're now living by what's called faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're not sure where God is. You're not sure what he's doing. And you're moving along in the darkness in faith and you're trying to grasp. You know, we just moved into a new home and I'm trying to find the light switch on the wall. I mean, that's like a big deal. You know, I find the light switch. I feel like I won the lottery and I can turn the light on and I can see again. As I've gotten older in life and as I've looked back in my life and I've looked from this vantage point, I see that there were different patterns of God's ways. And you look back and you say, I'm thankful that someone turned the light off in that room at that moment. I'm thankful that I went through that season of darkness. I'm thankful that I went through that stumbling and that uncertainty time because here's what I learned and here's what God taught me and here's what he grew in my life. I wouldn't be who I am had I not gone through what I went through. And Ruth just happened to stumble into the right field and it just happened to be Boaz's field. And Boaz just happened to go up to the gate at just the right time and the guy was walking by that he needed to talk to. Now, I get it. You're saying, well, wait a minute. You know, I mean, she chose to go out into that field. That's my point. She had no idea it was Boaz's field. She chose to go. You have to take action in faith. You can't just sit there. You can't pray for a job without putting out applications. That's foolish. You got to take action with your faith. Have you ever been out there just kind of trying to find a place, but you weren't really sure where the place was? Have you ever been out there just looking for something and you start out not knowing all the details, but as you get started and you start moving somewhere and then all of a sudden something in your spirit says, this is it. There's a quickening. There's a, there's something that the penny drops. It's there's a reality that something is about to happen. This is good. And you just know in your knower, you know, in your knower that God brought you here today. You know that in your knower. And every time you start to feel a little discouraged, you say to yourself, wait a minute, I can't give up because the God of my past took me through those dark rooms and he'll do it again. I can't give up because those uncertainties will lead to something certain. I can't give up because my need will give way to God's provision at some point. So I can't give up. And when you're in the field of your destiny, when you're in the field of your dreams, you you just know it. You're not maybe in the perfect spot yet, but you know you're somewhere in the vicinity and you have the sense that something is about to happen. And when God wants you to meet someone, when God wants to connect you with someone for any reason, did you know he can do that? That God has your address? He knows exactly where you live, that you already know the most connected person in the universe, you know God? And anybody that he wants to bring into your life, he'll bring into your life. Verse one, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. The guardian redeemer was the nearest kin to Ruth and Naomi, and he actually had the right, the first right to redeem them and to to help them and to come to their aid. The fact that his name is never mentioned in this passage is intentional. 
When Boaz says, my friend, hey, come over here. My friend was a catchphrase in Israel. It doesn't mean that they hung out a lot. It's just an expression. Hey, friend, come on over here. What's important to see here is the words that are not used, what's not mentioned, his name. In sports, in academics, in life, there's an award that's called honorable mention. And what do they mention? They mention the person's name. They've done something noteworthy, and there's an honorable mention of their name. Likewise, the opposite is true. When you just leave a person's name out of a conversation, that can be very intentional. There can be a reason why you just forget about so-and-so, and there's a reason. Their story has moved on from your story. This person who could have been a hero, think about this. We could be reading his name right now, this great legacy, but this person's life proved to not be worth remembering. Out of personal self-interest, he chose not to step up as the guardian redeemer. He looks the other way. Life is full of people when given the opportunity to truly be generous are not. People who want the credit, they want the perception of sacrifice, but when it actually calls upon them, you know you have the capacity, you know you have the ability, you know you could help in some way, and you look the other way. And life is full of those people who have legacies that are not worth remembering. But the people that we remember and the people we know are people who took action, who did the good deeds, who stepped up when it mattered most. Verse two, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative or to our relative Elimelech. Now, according to the law in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25, it says this, when one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and has to sell their property, the nearest relative to them is to come and redeem it for them, to help them. Boaz continues, verse four, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. The guardian redeemer says, I will redeem it. What? I mean, it's over. This beautiful love story has come to an end. I mean, every great Hallmark romance goes this way. You watch about the eight minute mark on your DVR, right towards the end of the love story, a problem presents itself. Just watch. There's a misunderstanding. There's a tension between the couple. There's an obstacle. There's something that threatens the future of the couple. And this is one of those moments because now the guy says, I will, I'll redeem it. And it appears that the deal is off the table. Boaz, you're not going to get the girl. That wild night the two of you spent on the threshing floor, that's just going to be a memory for the rest of your life, this poor guy of what could have been. But Boaz is a wise business person, and he's thought through the scenario, and God's given him wisdom of what to say next. Verse 5, then Boaz said, 
On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. At the death of Elimelech, the property had been passed to his oldest son, Milan. Remember Milan in Moab who had died. And so then it was passed to his widow, which is Ruth. So now Ruth is included in the redemption responsibility. And the hope that she would one day have a son and then her future son that she would have with her guardian redeemer would perpetuate the family legacy and name. But the moment, this moment, it, 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 this, it's interesting because this moment is like the conversation between Naomi and Ruth in chapter one, where Orpah and Ruth in chapter one, they say, hey, we're going to go with you, Naomi. And then Naomi goes, wait a minute, girls, I can't have more sons. It's not going to happen. Uh, you got to think about what this would really mean and what it would really cost you to follow me back home. The unnamed guardian redeemer was worried about his cash flow. He was worried about, wait a minute, if I have a son with Ruth, that might impact my own estate and my own wealth and my own legacy. Orpah chose not to commit to Naomi and Ruth. Likewise, the unnamed guardian chose not to commit to Naomi and Ruth. And they both have legacies that are not worth remembering. Look at the concern. His concern is, what will happen to my estate? What will happen to my wealth? He shows no concern about legacy or future generations except his very own. And neither does Orpah. Orpah, the unnamed, they go through this and they're never mentioned again. Their legacy is not worth remembering. Verse seven. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now, doesn't that sound strange? We would much rather have this piles of paperwork when you try to buy something, right? We would, then, then just a, here, here's my sandal, right? Uh, the, the symbolism of passing on the sandal began with the blessing of Abraham. When God said to Abraham, everywhere your feet will tread, everywhere you'll walk, will, you will inherit the land. That promise was then extended to all of God's people in Joshua chapter one, verse three, when he said, God says, I'll give you every place where your feet go, wherever you set your foot. When Boaz received the sandal, uh, he received the right to walk on the land as his property. Now, I, I don't know if he kept the shoe. I don't know if he kept all of his shoes because, you know, Boaz is very wealthy. So I don't know if you, if you go over to his home, there'd be a big pile of shoes like over the corner, you know. Man, business has been good, Boaz. He goes, yeah, really good. I mean, I don't know where he kept all of his shoes. You know, the guy had a lot of shoes. Ladies, I don't know. This whole shoe thing, I think, may have started with the guys. <laughs> and uh, that's why you come to Brave, to learn nuggets like this that'll <laughs> just very, very helpful. Imagine doing a land deal with Bogut from the Warriors. You know, you, you know, I'll buy it, and off comes a size 22 sandal. You know, it's like, man, where am I going to put this thing? Like, I can't even fit it in my trunk. You know, I mean, what am I going to do with this? Boaz's legacy was secure, and his name was remembered. 
because he voluntarily took on the moral responsibility of helping someone in need when he didn't have to. He saw a need and he generously chose to take care of it. God will give you what and who you're willing to take responsibility for. In Psalms chapter one, it says that God will give you the heathen as an inheritance, meaning if you ask for, he says, if you'll ask for the heathen, if you ask for souls, if you ask for people, the heathen who do not know God, I'll give them to you. We're asking for the souls of the San Ramon Valley and the Bay Area. And we are willing as a church family to give generously in uncommon ways. We're willing to take on the role of possessing this land. And we can build a church and a movement in this valley that will outlast our lifetimes, a legacy worth remembering. I'm going to do something that I rarely do. I'm going to take pride in someone that I have a right to take pride in, and that's my son, Pastor Samuel. We have, listen to this, we have one of the youngest Bible teachers, co-lead pastors in this entire valley here at Brave Church. He's only 31 years old, one of the best Bible teachers in the valley, and you have them here at Brave. Not only that, yeah, not only that, we have planned wisely. Instead of, you know, hanging on to the reins too long and all that, we're sharing the leadership of the church as co-lead pastors. We've secured the leadership of the future of Brave Church for 40 plus years. Imagine that. When older pastors around this valley begin to retire, their churches will become at risk. When you have a transition of a key leader, that thing becomes vulnerable. But when you invest your life and your resources here at Brave, you're part of a local church with a long-term legacy in mind. Think of it, a Bible-teaching church in the Bay Area, in the Bay Area, where we will serve your kids and your kids and their kids and so on, a church whose mission is to help people find and follow generations, to help them find and follow Jesus. That's a lasting legacy. There's something in the nonprofit world, it's called a, a legacy gift. It's when you give an inheritance with the intention of sustaining something's future. Most people are not waiting in line to give their money to helping people find and follow Jesus in the Bay Area. And so when God called our family and says, I want you to go to the Bay Area, and I was 51 years of age, I said, God, you mean Texas, right? Like Texas, like you can afford a home there and it's a lot easier to be a pastor in Texas. They say amen in the grocery store. You say amen at Bay Area, I don't know what your reaction is gonna be. But God sends us here. God says, I want you to take responsibility for the 96% of the people in this valley that are not following Jesus. It's a heart to give a legacy of your life and everything that you have. And that's the call of this church. That's the mandate of this church. It's what you're a part of. It's what we're building together. There is no place I would rather be. There's no place I'd rather serve than where God has called me to be with the people that he's called me to serve with. Amen. Amen. Verse nine, then Boaz to the elders and all the people, he says, today you're witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon, and Malone. 
And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malone's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing and and be famous in Bethlehem and through the offspring of the Lord gives you this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Boaz was willing to take care of another man's land, his family and his legacy through Ruth. He was willing to take responsibility. And in verses 9 and 10, their entire family is mentioned by name except for two people, Orpah and the unnamed guardian redeemer that wouldn't step up. Boaz stepping up is followed by an unplanned blessing that comes to his life by the elders. Friends, any great thing that God wants to do through you will require faith. He had to take on financial responsibility of of two widows. He took on the land. He took on all that goes with that. And sometimes you're on this side of the responsibility. You're going, man, that'd be a lot to help out in that way or, or give that much or do that much to help with that. But on the other side of that willingness to, to, to live God's heart now and love what God loves now. And be a part of what God is doing now. God brings blessing. And all of a sudden, he gets blessed by the elders in three very significant ways. Here's what they say. Ruth, Ruth, who was once barren in Moab. Remember, she was married to Molan. No children. Would now produce a child and more children. Boaz would be blessed with standing. That word standing in the Hebrew means worth. He would have a legacy worth remembering. And his hometown Bethlehem would be famous. Ever heard of Bethlehem? And then it says his children, his descendants would settle there like in Perez in Bethlehem. Their roots would go deep. We remember their legacy because it was worth remembering because Boaz and Ruth, from them came two of Israel's greatest kings, King David and the eternal king, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm inspired, are you? I mean, before we finish, I want to give you three quick takeaways from this passage, three keys to a life worth remembering. Number one, here's a key, here's what I've learned. Invest now in the future of others. Don't wait. The word in the Hebrew, said means kindness or love in action. The word has said is used throughout the book of Ruth because it was always the motive of Boaz and Ruth. Every time you find them doing something, they're being kind to somebody else. They're caring for somebody else. They're loving someone else. They're being generous to somebody else. They're investing their lives each day. And Ruth stayed with Naomi and, and she goes with her and she helped take care of this widow woman with no, no visible future for herself. She wasn't asking what's in it for me. 
And Boaz, he steps up and he's willing to provide for Ruth and Naomi for the rest of their lives. And maybe God is calling you to step up and help someone that's not even your relative to do something uncommonly generous to help somebody else. Respond to that faith. Respond to that when God speaks to you. Maybe through your generosity and future generations will come to find and follow Jesus at Brave. You see, a legacy worth remembering is one of kindness and love in action. Don't wait. Don't wait when it's in your ability to help others. When you have the capacity, invest now in the future of others. My grandmother and grandfather, my parents have all done this. The laws have always done this. We don't wait till we're dead to give to our children. We don't wait till we're dead to bless. We don't wait till we're dead to say, oh, I wish I would have lived a great life of serving and putting Jesus first. We live it today by our own actions. A life that matters beyond your lifetime is based on how you invest today. What your kids see you do for other people today, that's what they're going to remember. Remember, a legacy is leaving behind something of worth to other people. And if your faith and your actions today are not relevant, what will it matter at the end of your life if you leave something? It's how you live today that really matters in extending the kingdom of God. You don't want to get to the end of your life and go, yeah, I meant to do this and I meant to do that, and suddenly your life is over. Our life is but a vapor, and it's gone. It's like steam, and then it's gone. It's like flowers that wither, and then it's gone. Invest your life today. You'll regret being less generous. You will regret being less kingdom-minded. You will regret not being willing to sacrifice for a legacy worth remembering. And number two, look for God's timing in the details of your life. Be patient. Look for God's timing. God will bring you to just the right place at just the right time, and you'll meet just the right person when you need to, the people who will matter most in your life, the mentors, the spiritual leaders, and those in your life. He'll bring them in your life at just the right time. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Heavenly Father. So something I've learned in five decades of walking with Jesus is I've learned to let Jesus bring to me his will. Yes, Boaz went up to the gate with the intention of meeting with the elders and God then orchestrated the nearest guardian redeemer to walk by at just the right time. Yes, Ruth says, I'm gonna go out in the field and yes, it happened to be Boaz's field. You see, the will of God is like a football field, not a target. The will of God is like a football field. It's like you have... There's inbounds and there's out of bounds, but there's an entire field to play on. And God has given you and I as his children, this great big world in which to play and live and to achieve and to extend God's kingdom on earth. And Jesus is our coach and he's our shepherd. And the Holy Spirit will send in signals, plays to run opportunities, things for you to do and be a part of. And he sends you those signals and you either listen and engage and do it and take action or you don't. And the Holy Spirit will send you those signals. This is God's will. Do this, do that. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will convict us and he'll throw a penalty flag or two. Ah, 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 shouldn't have done that. But on this field that we are given the freedom to choose and to run the plays and to act as we feel led, to win. 
When we show a said, when we show love and kindness in action, when we're consistent with God's character, God does great things. God brings his will to us. God will bring to you the opportunity that you need most in your life. God will bring to you another person to be kind. And in that moment, you'll know, I have the capacity. I can meet this need right now. Do it. You won't regret that. That, that nudge, that, that quickening, that check, that something in your spirit, respond to that. That's the great adventure of learning how to hear God and to follow him. And then listen to this. It's really important. Great legacies are always built on patience. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. Every person who's a shooting star, every person who looks like great things are going to happen, those who fail try to grab a hold of something before they should. They, they become impatient and they take matters into their own hands. Impatience can ruin a great legacy. Think of all the people, that, the famous people that you know, and all of a sudden they get impatient and they do something and you go, oh, wow, that's, that's really sad. Patience, wait on God. Wait on God to bring his will to you. Sometimes your dreams will be fulfilled in the next generation. You see, godly dreams never die. It's not your job to make God's dreams happen. If he allows you to partner with him, that's a great life. Look for God's timing in the details of your life. There's a verse that uh, I don't want it to be my life verse, but it's become one of my life verses. It's Isaiah 64, verse 4. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. God works for those who wait for him. God works for. In the Hebrew, it's very interesting. Listen to this. When it says that if you'll wait, God will work for you, it literally means this, to make, to win to manufacture, to produce. When I wait on God, God works in my life to help me win in life. When I put God first in my life and the daily choices that I'm making, God then works around everything in my life and he begins to create favor that wasn't there before. He begins to manufacture opportunities. He begins to produce things out of my life because I'm waiting on him. And I'm patient. Let him work. Wait for his counsel, his vision. Stay a little longer in his presence. That's a word for someone. You must be patient and wait on God. Never take matters into your own hands. And lastly, quickly, number three, entrust your redemption to the guardian redeemer. In verse 10, It says that Boaz intervened so that the name would not disappear, so that Naomi's sons and their legacy would not be erased. He was saving their legacy. You cannot go through your life saving yourself. If you're drowning, you're drowning. Drowning people do not save themselves. That's that's impossible if you're drowning. If you're drowning, you don't have the capacity to save yourself. You're going to experience challenges and struggles and tribulations and things that rock your world and rock your faith. That's called life. You need a redeemer, someone that has a bigger capacity than you. And the word teaches us that Jesus Christ is the only one that can redeem your life. 
Have you ever uh, like fantasized about having a wealthy relative that you don't know leave you a bunch of money? Okay, well, I have. Probably way more than I should. Okay, I sinned. I'm sorry. The truth is, we all have a wealthy relative. We all have the most important person that you need to know. Your guardian redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants you. And he loves you. And he wants to work for you. Wait for him. Quit taking matters into your own hands. Wait for him. Quit saying those snide little remarks and getting sarcastic because things aren't going the way you want it to. Wait for him. Put it back into his hands and surrender. Let him redeem you. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes in reverence to those that are around you. But perhaps you're here today and there's something in your heart that says, yes, I, I want a guardian redeemer. I want to be redeemed. I don't understand everything there is about the Christian faith or what it means to follow Jesus, but I do believe in my heart that in this moment, I am being led and prompted to make a decision. And that's just something between you and God that says, I, I want to make peace with God. I'm not going to have you stand or come forward, but if you're here today and that's you, just right where you're sitting, just raise your hand and say yes. Just say yes. That's great. That's wonderful. That's the first step before baptism next week. That's wonderful. And now I just want to pray for us. Father in heaven, Lord, I believe you've spoken to all of us in different ways. I also know that your word says that when the word is sown like seed, The enemy comes like a bird to try to take or eat the seed. I pray that every word that's been sown, that has spoken to our hearts, that we'll take action on those words and that those words will have full effect and impact in our own lives and that we will leave a legacy worth remembering. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.